Here we go. It's time to go inside EMS, or as it's known in my house, the Chris and Kelly show. It should be known in Kelly's house as the Chris and Kelly show, but here he is to argue with me, the man who is making fun of my hat. If you're watching us on YouTube, Kelly Grayson, KG, what's going on up there? Oh, man, it's it's living the dream. Sitting here at the angle station, got to find a quiet spot and, and doing my thing. You know, with that hat, you look like you should be wearing sweatpants and a towel wrapped around your neck, drinking some raw eggs, you know, running up the steps to the, the Philadelphia Museum. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's good how you stereotype all the Italian people. So <laughs> I'm sorry that you're living up to the stereotype. I see. Yeah. The only thing you don't do is talk with your hands. Oh, I do, but not when I'm on the podcast. But I got you. I actually bought this hat when I was in Sicily. I got a gray one too. So, but just, I just came in were, from the outside. I just came in from the outside. So, but uh, so as we kick off show number two of 50 for the year 2024, Kelly, a lot of things happened when we were on vacation. You know, at the end of the year, we always take two weeks off around the holiday and we enjoy fam, uh, family at Christmas and we enjoy the new year. And then we come back. Our last show was December 22nd of 2023. Yeah. And on December 23rd, there was an incredible judgment that came out in the courts where two paramedics were found guilty of criminally negligent homicide in connection with the Elijah McClain death. And if you remember, this is where the paramedics injected 500 milligrams of ketamine to by the paramedics to Elijah McClain. And they said that it was more than what was supposed to be uh, given based on body weight. You know, they estimated his body weight at uh, a little bit heavier, about 200 pounds. Yeah. And he weighed about 140 pounds. So they gave him about double what he needed to get. And what was really interesting here is that both paramedics, they pled not guilty. They talked about that this is what their training was. They talked about that they were told that this drug was benign and it wouldn't kill, wouldn't hurt anyone. And a jury of their peers found them guilty. And now they're going to face sentencing. But Kelly, when it comes to the thought of this in our career field, this is something that we all have to pay attention to now. And especially last December, we had the two paramedics in Springfield, or the two EMS providers in Springfield, I guess they were two paramedics, who are now brought up on manslaughter charges in their case. So more and more, we are starting to see prosecutors making examples of paramedics, EMTs, who are not doing the right thing or them thinking they're not doing the right thing. And our peers are now starting to get connected with murder and manslaughter charges. And that's something that we have to be very, very cognizant of. But I, I feel I'm babbling. Let me give you a few minutes to pontificate on this yourself. When you first heard this over the holidays, what was your first thought? It's, you know, I don't think the the either paramedic acted appropriately. Does it rise to the level of, of criminal charges? I, I have my doubts. You know, I have no doubt that they were negligent and, and did not treat their patient properly. 
based on what I hear, but but just philosophically and, and having been in similar situations, I think they took the wrong approach to things. Does that deserve them getting censured, professionally disciplined, maybe, you know, be suspended or lose or served or something like that, some kind of punitive action administratively? Yes. I don't know that it rises to criminal to a criminal complaint, but that that's the way the world we're, we live in now. The the immunity, civil immunity, at least in civil service jobs, has been being eroded for for many years now, and and I don't think that's necessarily a bad. Uh, I, I think the the mindset that you can't get sued or that you can get sued, you know, the city's going to stand behind you and, and that sort of thing. Condoned to the and uh, helped condone a lot of egregious behavior when there was no sense of consequences. However, I, you know, I just don't, I don't know what this is certainly an object lesson, you know, be careful because not only will they, will they hit the service you work for, hit them in the pocketbook, you may well be going to jail. I don't know that this, this is certainly a horrible case, but I don't know that this rises to the level of apathy and and outright unprofessionalism and criminal negligence like the the two medics in Springfield or the the, the medic in in Detroit who refused to get out of our ambulance but to do CPR on someone. You know, those people I believe not only need to be out of my profession but they belong in jail. I don't know if these guys do. Certainly, they 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 need something. Jail is that the answer? Not so sure about that. I guess it helps when I come off mute, but, and I don't know if we're here to armchair quarterback the call. What I would really like to be able to. Everybody's an expert about somebody else's call. You know, especially the day after, right? But, But I think that one of the things that we want to be able to look at is this verdict. Maybe some of the things that they could have done differently in the sense of what can we do in the future but not necessarily how they did it or or why they did it. We we weren't there. We don't know. It's only what we read. It's only what's in the in the court documents. But certainly when we start to think about medication that's weight-based, it, it, that's yeah. a challenge, right? We've got to be able to understand, one, how to convert calls from pounds to kilos. And basically one of the easy ways that I teach my EMT and paramedic students to do that is if we're going from weight to kilos, we go ahead and take half away. So if Kelly, you weigh 200 pounds, I take half away from that. So that's 100. There's three numbers. So I take away the first two, 90 kilos. If someone weighs 160 pounds and we go to 80, I go ahead and take away the first number is 72 kilos. And then the same thing is true opposite. If somebody yeah. weighs 60 kilos and we double it to 120, we take the first two numbers, which is 12, and we have 132 pounds. So very, very easy to convert. But yeah. in a situation... I always, always cut the pounds in half and subtract the 10%. Yeah, it's the same. It's the yeah. same, yeah. So, But when we think about this from the standpoint of this particular call, it's wintertime, you know, the... The, you know, the patients, the, they're, they're wearing bigger clothes. And certainly it, it does become a challenge when you use weight-based medicine where you're guessing. Certainly if you have the ability to talk to the patient, 
and find out how much they weigh. And then you're able to do that a little bit easier. But I think weight-based medicine becomes a very, very big challenge, especially when you deal with a drug like dopamine, where dopamine is very, very potent. And and a couple drops can make a big difference when it comes to, you know, given that medication. But is this where I get to tell you my Kelly's 3 a.m. dopamine dosing rule? No, what is it? For standard mixture of dopamine. And there are many non-standard mixtures, but the standard mixture has always been 1,600 micrograms per milliliter, either 400 and 250 of D5 or 800 and 500 of D5. So right. if you're using standard mixture dose and you want a inotropic dose, 5 micrograms per kilogram per minute, uh, take the weight in pounds, drop the last digit, subtract one from the answer. So let's do that. Let's work that out. So say it again. Every time. Say it again. Take the weight in pounds. So the weight in the pounds. So my weight, my weight in pounds is two fifty. Okay. Minus. So your your dopamine would run twenty four mils an hour for five micrograms per kilogram per minute. Five micrograms per kilogram per minute. So if I'm if I'm, what I say two fifty. Two fifty. So one hundred twenty five minus twelve. That's ninety three kilos. Yeah. So 93, if my no, math... No, that's more than 93. You're 250? Oh, yeah. I got to do paper. So 250, 125, minus 12, kilos. 3, 1... Oh, it's 113. 113 times 5 is 15. Take the 1. Is 5 is 6. Is 5 is 665. 60 in a... In using your... We're getting off topic, but using your 100 micrograms, that's 60 drops is 1,600. 30 drops is 800. 400 drops is 15. And what I say, 665, so it's about 22 and a half drops. Okay, 22 and a half, 24, close enough for government. Plus two drops between friends. But I just said two drops can make a big difference. Uh, It's not that big a difference. But But anyway. I see your point. Or, you know, we could do the really smart thing and not do math in the middle of a friggin' code. But the thing and about we could we could use we could practice some cognitive offloading and use our references like we're supposed to. But when you think but, about it, we made dopamine we made dopamine very very hard to figure out. And yeah. to to your point, right? The way that it's mixed, it's one gram and two hundred and fifty milliliters. So when we get prepackaged dopamine, because back in the old days, Kelly, we had to mix it. There was no prepackaged. Yeah. Well, we had four hundred milligrams and two hundred and fifty milliliters usually. So whatever you're saying, I don't even pay attention because <laughs> you're confusing me. But 1,600 micrograms per milliliter, yeah. per milliliter. So 60 drops will give you 1,600. 800 will give you 30 is 30 drops. 400 is 15 drops. 1,200 is 45 drops. And then if you split that in half, 22 and a half drops is 600. So really, you never really had to put pen to paper. You just needed to be able to look at how much you were giving per protocol to the kilos of the patient but anyway yeah. well uh, you, you know what one of the insidious things about this is is i, I think we we encourage i won't say we because I, I made a point not to do this but but education particularly in scenarios and training and, and simulations and stuff has has often give follow the path of least resistance when it comes to medication dosages you know you do your simulated patient how much do you weigh 100 kilograms you know, and everyone knows, so, you know, your 0.5 milli- milligrams per kilogram or your one milligram per kilogram. It's it's easy math. 
but no one weighs precisely 100 kilograms. You know, so I like to tell people, your patient weighs 173 pounds. Now do that math. Or look it up, use a calculator, use it up, you know, consult your dosing chart. And that's what they did with Elijah McLean, you know, the one size fits all solution. It's the same thing that led us to, to no neck C collars being outselling all the other sizes combined because no neck fits everyone. There's a, the no neck fits everyone society has a chapter at every ambulance service in the country. You know, another, another big issue that I think happens here, and it happened in, in some of these other cases that we've talked about over a 10 year period, Kelly, is that we are not talking to our patients. Yes. And I think a lot of times when we deal with our police brethren and a patient who has been deemed to be challenging, we side with our police brethren and we find them to be, you know, non-worthy of our conversation. And a lot of the times where people have died in route, it's because we are not paying attention to the patients in the back of the ambulance. If we think about the news clippings that we hear, and again, we're not here to to, to go back and, and second guess how the call was handled, based on uh, video body cam they came they didn't interact with the mr mclean they gave they gave the drug based on the patient being held down and i think that that's where that challenge is we have to be able to figure out and talk to that patient and make a difference man in this case here's somebody who was walking home and it was accosted by the police and one of the things they I mean to put them in a chokehold, according to the news articles, and there probably wasn't a lot of discussion before this medication was given. And I don't know that I think that just because someone has an excited delirium or we're told that it's excited delirium, that we want to be able to give ketamine in, you know, without doing a full assessment. But I yeah. think that when we think about what we can do differently, certainly we need to be able, number one, is make sure as close as we can get with weight-based medicine. But number two, talk to the patient and continually evaluate what they need, not what you think they need or not what you suppose they need because they're in police custody, but what they truly need. You know, we're not here to judge people, but you know what? We do that in EMS. We do that. I mean, emergency room nurses are good for judging people when we bring them in, right? And we've done the same thing. And we've got to break that habit. It's because our poor interaction with people are leading to those national calls when these folks die. Yeah. I I think that where this case went off the rails is that both, both paramedics involved forgot that they were first and foremost patient advocates and were acting as law enforcement advocates. They weren't there for the patient. They were there to make law enforcement's job easy. And, and, you know, I, I, I can understand the mindset, you know, I, I like the cops I work with and, and we, we try to have each other's backs, but law enforcement in general is a blunt instrument without a whole lot of nuance in dealing with people with, with mental disorders. They, and oftentimes their, their approach to it escalates the problem unnecessarily, uh, not simply because they're jerks, but because they have inadequate training in that regard. What, what have you seen, you know, in response to, to George Floyd and, and 
other cases like this. And now they're they're sending out mental health advocates and social workers as part of teams to deal with these with, with our, our mentally ill and patients. And I have no idea if Elijah McLean had nothing. All the news reports state that he was not combative at all. He was just walking along, as you pointed out. And and when the cops put hands on, that's when the situation escalated. And and they use excited delirium as as their their reasoning. I don't know. I've I've never taken a hallucinogenic drug in my life. I smoked one joint on my graduating night from high school. And if someone put hands on me, I'm not so sure I would react well to it, might fight back. That's just a natural human response. So we need to, I think they just lost sight of the fact in the heat of the moment that we don't sedate people for law enforcement convenience. We sedate them because they are a danger to themselves and others. And, and there are obviously physical signs of that that you would be able to, to find if you do, as you pointed out, talk to your patient and actually assess them, and which they did not do. Hey, Kelly, what do you think this does, this judgment does for the mentality of some paramedics and EMTs out there who may say, I'm just not going to treat my patient anymore because if I make a dosing error error, or if, you know, I'm seen as doing the wrong thing and certainly not treating your patient is doing the wrong thing. But do you see how I'm saying that this could have a negative impact on how EMTs and paramedics do their job for fear of retribution? I'm sorry, wrong word, not retribution, but fear of judgment based on, you know, what's happening in the news. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not so sure. You know, it, it's hard for me to, to, I can see objectively why some people might might react that way and go, you know, we're damned if we do, damned if we don't, and, and uh, I'm not going to put myself in, in that position. Um, on the other hand, I've never really been that, you know, in that mindset at all and, and can't really get in the headspace of someone who looks at it this way. I've, you know, the fact that, that Elijah McClain was overdosed due to, you know, negligence on part of two paramedics and the criminal or in the, the legal system saw fit to criminally prosecute and convict him doesn't really have any bearing on how I take care of people, you know, because I wouldn't have done what they did. And I, I try to, you know, I've got there, but for the grace of God, go I, you know, I, I hope I never am in that situation. But I, you know, I, I think that the way I approach care already affords me a, a great deal of protection. You know, it's, let, let, let's be honest, Chris. I mean, we, we feel for these guys uh, because I don't, you know, criminal prosecution may have been a step too far in our opinion. On the other hand, they screwed the pooch. And they know they screwed the pooch and they did the wrong thing and they were not effective patient advocates or good paramedics at that period. End of story. Can it happen to all of us? Yeah, possibly. But how? But, but how it's can... not like they got, sec- they, they got prosecuted for doing a good job, you know, and doing the right thing. No, they did the wrong thing, even though their, their motivation might've been, you know, less, uh, not criminal, you know, they, they did the wrong thing. They, regardless of, of how they looked at it, it was objectively the wrong thing to do and, and you know, pay the consequences of that. So I, I don't know that it would affect my care. Uh, I could see how some people would. Uh, 
I, I do the same thing I, uh, or tell my anyone uh, same thing I tell my students. What do you do? Um, being a patient advocate and taking good care of people and being polite is the best lawyer repellent there is. Period. Be nice. Yeah. I mean, I was, it was good to see too that their chief came out in their defense that, you know, they, they uh, are not mean people or, you know, they, they were good employees. Probably not. It's it probably a horrible experience. No, not just the, the, the criminal repercussions, but the fact that you know that you're as a caregiver are there to help someone, someone you helped died by your actions. That's got to be horrible. You know, so when you think about this, you know, we already said weight-based medicines, make sure you find out the weight if you can. And sometimes we have to estimate and sometimes it's better to estimate on the lower side than it is on the higher side. Because if I have to give more of a drug, I could do that, but I can't take some of those drugs back. Yeah. Number two is we have to be able to develop rapport and continually talk to the patient. This isn't what we think we have to do. It's what we have to do based on what we hear based on what we see and based on what our experience is going to tell us. I mean, I want to know how, how do you show up on scene getting ready to give someone ketamine when you haven't even done an assessment yet? Right. So it's those types of things. But number two is I think you have to be able, and I think one of the things that we're seeing in some of these cases, and I'm not here to point fingers, I'm here to fix the problem is we're doing our job with ego. And this isn't about you. This is about the people that call for our help. It may be BS. We get all those calls that are BS sometimes at three o'clock in the morning for knee pain for the last two weeks. Tell me who hasn't run a three o'clock in the morning call for knee pain for the last two weeks or something thereof, something trivial. And we get to be a little bit jaded and we get to do our job with a little bit of ego. There's no better job in the world than sitting in the right seat of that and that ambulance and delivering the highest quality patient care, what could be the worst day yeah. of somebody's life. And I said this the other day, man, when a mother hands you a three-month-old that's in cardiac arrest and you have the ability to hopefully cheat death. It says that's, fix that's, it somehow. That's powerful, right? People forget how what a privilege that is. But we have to be able to remember that our ego is not good for medicine. You're absolutely right. You know, and, and I... They had their DWPA call, and unfortunately, in, in today's climate, it, it resulted in them in them being, you know, civilly and criminally liable for the patient's death. Uh, I had my DWPA call early in my career, just because my ego had not caught up with or my skills and knowledge had not caught up with my ego, and I accepted a transfer that I should not have and was not equal to the task. I didn't have enough hands, and and I. I couldn't handle it on my own, and the patient died. Did I kill him? No, but I sure didn't do him any favors. <laughs> I was not the intrepid lifesaver that day, and I'm sure you probably have a similar story where, where it, you know, it, 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 you know, there but for the grace of God, like I said earlier. I think the other takeaway we get from this is number one is that we are we are comrades and allies of law enforcement, um, but. The decision to sedate someone is a medical decision, and it needs to be made by medical professionals, and not because a cop told you to. You know, you sedate. But we don't know that. Has a 
we don't know that happened. We don't know the uh, cops said knock him down, you know. But well, the cops said excited delirium. And and that's another thing. And that that term has fallen out of fallen into disfavor in the medical community because many medical professionals and most of the major physician advocacy organizations and, and professional societies have issued position statements that their their physician members should not use the terms excited delirium because it doesn't really exist. Any one of us who've ever treated these patients knows that it's something. And, and you know, I, I do a, a a lecture on excited delirium care. And I still, but I had to tweak that lecture lecture very little because I approached it not from this is this particular phenomenon that's easily identifiable. It's like this is a constellation of symptoms that is a constellation of things caused by multiple causes. And when you see these things, I don't care what you call it, it needs some, some type of, of care. And, but... All too often, it's been used as a as a catch all for uh, for you know justifying a, a particular use of force or whatever. That's not something that that we sh- that's not a judgment we should be making. Now, I've had cops tell me before these, these are, I've had cops tell me that to give someone Narcan because they were high. I was like, well, you know, the guy did an eight ball. What's the Narcan going to do? Make him higher? You know, the Narcan's the only thing that keeping us from having to fight him right now. Let's 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 not take away the sleepy time part of the the drug cocktail and leave us with nothing but the hanging from the chandelier part. Right. And he's like, oh, I thought it blocked everything. Like, no, it doesn't. So so Kelly, as as the consummate professional educator you are, and uh, certain. And certain, well, I'm I'm reading it just like you wrote it here. So isn't that right? Yeah, and I appreciate that. I'll send you the check. So, but I mean, now in in this paramedic course that you're in, you're going to get to a point of talking about a pharmacology. You're going to get to a point of talking about excited delirium. You're going to get to a point of talking about sedation. And certainly ketamine comes up that you're going to have to talk. How do you, how do you talk about this case with your students and what advice do you give them? And this will be our last point, I think, uh, before you close, but what what do you give them? How do you, how do you make them realize that they're in control of their future based on how they treat people? Yeah. Well, you know, students approach me about this very sort of thing and not this particular case, but like George Floyd and other cases that have made the news and, and like students everywhere, they want an answer, not it depends. And you and I both know from experience that it does depend. And 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 the the honest answer is it, a whole lot of factors play into it, and it does depend. They want to know what can I put down on the test and get it right. And and I can't ju- I just can't answer that for them. And so I have to tell them that it's nuanced. You have to be careful. You have to consider everything, and there is never, ever, ever a substitute for knowing more about your patient. Ask questions, do assessments, and when in doubt, be conservative. There, you know, and you should you should train and educate yourself enough that you're not in doubt very often. But you should be conservative and call someone for for consultation. That's what medical control is for. So with this situation, I, I you know, I would say, look. This is why weight-based dosing is important and you have to get it right or you can kill someone and you have to be a patient advocate above all. 
look out for the interests of the patient. And if you're asked to sedate someone because they were violent, well, they're not violent when you get there. Not, not a real good idea to sedate them. But hey, that's what I think. Chris has told you what you think. Do you think this, this court decision was just? Do you think that this gives some measure of, of justice and closure to uh, Elijah McClain's family? We'd like to hear what you think at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co-host Chris Sebolero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. Going to catch you guys next week.